Good morning. How are y'all today? Isn't it great to be together for a special day to take time to recognize our senior adults? Amen. Isn't that good? I am delighted to do that. It was really interesting because um, yesterday I was at the house and kind of bringing together some of the things that I was going to be speaking about today from the Lord's Word. And uh, one of the college students that was kind of hanging around the house with us and fellowship and said, uh, why would you do something like Senior Adult Sunday? And I thought that was a great question because why do we take time for a day like today and give special attention to, recognition of, and thought about those who are among us? First, it's because I turned 50 this year. And so I'm in that group. I started getting the AARP stuff in the mail. That was such a delight. Oh, man. It's like right to the shredder, okay? I was not encouraged by that. No, that's aside. There are two things that cause us to need to and responsibly engage in honoring and encouraging and especially encouraging senior adults. The first reason is because society's sense of worth of elderly has been since the fall, since Adam and Eve, diminishing at different points and in different cultures along the way. And in our present culture, society's sense of worth of elderly is very negative. The pursuit of youth and beauty, the pursuit of the the healthy physique, the pursuit of all of the things that tend to go with youthfulness, productivity that is measured in terms of monetary value and worth, instantaneous results, All of these things press in in our society to begin to marginalize the worth and the value of seniors. And the result of that is that society in North America does not appreciate elderhood among our adults diminishing constantly the value of them and putting them kind of marginalized as a resource. And the Scriptures speak very clearly against that. So we've got this outside thing going on because of the fall, because of the wickedness of our own generation pressing against us to devalue those who are aging and especially very aged And the second is our own sense of worth. When we begin to age, we begin to struggle. We begin to have some issues within our own hearts that we wrestle with. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Put your finger there for just a moment and listen to Paul as he talks about this struggle, having described 
our bodies as earthen vessels, very fragile, frail, very breakable, very vulnerable. And then he jumps in in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and he says this very potent statement, though our outer man is wasting away. Paul is looking here primarily at the faltering body of those who are aging. Paul himself experiencing this, not just because of his age, but because, as he explains to us later around chapter 11, three times beaten with rods, five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, adrift in the sea, The wear and tear on Paul's body and the aging process had caused him to have a very clear sense of his outer man wasting away. Another translation says, though our outer man is decaying. And so it's not only a struggle that the society looks down on the elderly. We begin to sense it in our own selves when we can't move as quickly. I hang out with young college students and young men and women, young marrieds, and spend time with them. And my brain gets tired just trying to keep up with them. And I realize that at 50, the sharpness that I had at 25 is radically different. The ability now, I find people actually filling in words I can't remember. Have you got to that place yet? You got a little gray, you're doing it. You're trying to say a sentence and somebody that doesn't have gray goes, blah, and they say the word that you've been really straining to find and you go, and so we have our own sense inside that something is slowing down and it is not what it was. And that outer man wasting away begins to set into our own heart. And when we have a witness on the outside from society and a witness on the inside of our own soul struggling with aging, we need encouragement. I was reading through the Psalms in our assigned readings over the last two weeks and I came to Psalm 92 and it spoke to my heart and I believed it would be appropriate for today. So let's go there. Psalm 92. And I want to work backwards through the psalm. I'm not going to go kind of beginning to end. I'm going to actually go end back nearly to the beginning. And um, Daniel, is that you up there? When you pull up that next slide and it starts with the number two, that is correct. Okay? I made that change just before I turned it in, so hang with me there. Let's go to the end of the psalm and look at what caught my attention to speak to us today as a congregation about an encouraging word for seniors and for those who see seniors and have to evaluate the life changes. Some of you are taking care of seniors. You're taking care of people more senior than yourself. I get a kick when I'm hanging out with BJ, mountain biking with him, at how old I feel. And then when I'm with Bill Mount, I start feeling young again. And so I'm kind of stuck in the middle. Uh, and, and so, but, but Bill laughs at me when I talk about my aches and pains. He just shakes his head and he says, Oh, Pastor Bart, you don't know. You just don't know. And so there's this strange 
sense that we have to grapple with this as a congregation, as individuals, and then influence our society. Look in Psalm 92. It says of this righteous man, so let's pick up in verse 12. That's a key word to the whole psalm. The psalm is about a righteous man, a righteous woman. That's what the psalm is about. So everything that will be said will be said about this person. Look what is said. The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very Now, the idea of being a sappy old person is not what I'm trying to say here. There was something that just leapt off the page to my heart and spoke to me about two things. One, what it should be in our senior years. And also, what we as a congregation hope to foster in our own lives as we approach our senior years. So we're speaking to those already there and what it should, could, ought be. And then for all of us, how are we as a congregation going to ensure that this is a description of us in our latter days? Because what we are now is setting up what we will be then. So the whole psalm is about the righteous person named verse 12. And then it is about a capacity. This is not a guarantee of long life. Be careful there. But it is a guarantee of a kind of long life. That if the Lord blesses you with a number of years, He will have a specific purpose in that. And that He will also reveal Himself in you through that purpose. So let's begin. And as I said, we're not working exactly through it. And even so much so that as I got ready to turn in the PowerPoint this morning, I said, I'm going to make one change. So as you get your outline out, we're going to start actually in number two and then go back to number one. So Daniel, pull that first slide and just that introduction number two. Go ahead right there. Hold there. One writer, when he turned 65, was contemplating his life. I sat down with our staff and just a couple of months ago and I said this statement to them. I said, I'm 50. Essentially, at best, two-thirds of my life is done. Two-thirds. And I want the last third to be finished well. And as I read this, I was encouraged about when people reach their 70s, they often think their work is done, but not so with a man named Charles Hodge. In the book about him by Paul Guthar called Charles Hodge, Guardian of American Orthodoxy, on the very first page, this is listed. 
When people reach their 70s, they often think their work is done. Not so much with Hodge. His last years were among the most productive as he sat ensconced in his study, wielding his favorite pen to compose literally thousands of manuscript pages, which would eventually become his monumental systematic theology and his incisive book entitled, What is Darwinism? So it was not until Charles Hodge was 70 years old that he began pinning the manuscript that sits on countless pastors' desks as a reference tool for theology. He began the work of writing it at 70. We go further. At 65, Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister of England and for the next five years led the Western world to freedom. At 69, English writer and lexicographer Samuel Johnson began his last major work, the huge monumental work called The Lives of the English Poets. At 69, Ronald Reagan became the oldest man ever sworn in as President of the United States, and he was reelected at 73. Wow. At 70, Benjamin Franklin helped draft the Declaration of Independence. At 77, John Glenn became the oldest person to go into space. At 77, the incredibly famous Grandma Moses started painting. Have you seen her works? Look them up. She didn't begin until 77. Bill, is that in your neighborhood? Isn't that awesome? It's not, is it? But it's awesome, isn't it? Johann Wolfgang von Goethe finished writing his famous book, Faust, 82. At 82, Winston Churchill wrote a history of the English-speaking peoples. At 88, Michelangelo created the architectural plans for the church of Santa Maria degli Angeli, one of the most beautiful works that he was a part of. At 89, Albert Schweitzer ran a hospital in Africa. At 89, Arthur Rubenstein performed one of his greatest recitals in Carnegie Hall. At 93, Strom Thurmond, the longest-serving senator in U.S. history, won re-election after promising not to run again at age 99. Now, it's easy for us to to fall into society's pressures about youth and youthfulness and then to fall into our own depressive feelings about our own limitations. But this psalm holds promise for something that's stunning and at the end of which I want to share a little video with you that I hope will encourage you. So let's walk through. Starting with number two. What makes this man of righteousness mentioned in verse 12 full of sap and vigor in his old days? It begins with a joy rooted in God and his works. Read with me in verse 4 of Psalm 92. 
For thou, O Lord, hast made me glad by what thou hast done. I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands. He has joy rooted in God and his works. Three things are mentioned here about his works that are constantly woven through the Psalms. First, the work of letter A, creation. He saw the creation and still in older age could appreciate the glory and beauty of it because God is the creator. And so he gave praise to God about that. But there's even more because that is not sufficient. The reality was, letter B, that it was the salvation and redemptive works of God that made him righteous and joyful. You'll see on the outline, I've got a little note to the side. It says, note the because slash cause. When you read this text in Hebrew, it has a very potent way of laying it out. The beginning of verse 4 says, because. So 1, 2, and 3 are rested on 4. All of what we're going to talk about in what will in our outline be number one is actually rested on verse four, which is the second section, a joy rooted in God and his works. What makes this guy potentially sap filled and green and flourishing and set like this incredible tree? What is it like? It's a joy in God's salvation. The word joy there or glad is a causative verb. In its normal sense, it means to be glad. But in this intensified sense given in the Hebrew, it means to make someone glad. The whole psalm is tied up in a righteousness that this man has by faith in the saving works of God. It is a righteousness that this man possesses. You were in the Gospel Project this morning. A justification that comes by faith in the person and work of God. What is bubbling out in verses 1, 2, and 3 comes from a heart that has been made glad, caused by God and because of God. And so the verse could really read, I do all this because you have caused me to be glad in what you have done. I say all this because you have caused me to rejoice in your saving work. There's also a sense in which the idea of recompense, letter C, is there because he knows that God in His works will set all things straight We're going to visit that in just a moment. So, this guy that has the potential to be old and full of sap, this gal that has the potential of being flourishing and fruitful in their last days, like this giant date palm that has this luscious and sweet fruit, like this huge tree, cedar, set in this glorious setting, that comes from Roots that go down into the joy of who God is and what He has done for us in His salvation. And so what is drawing the sap up into His being 
is the roots of salvation and the joy that comes from that. So now we move up to one and see what happens when that root is there. Well, the one who is fruitful in old age is characterized, number one, by giving praise to God. Look in verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to His name or to Thy name, O Most High. To declare Thy loving kindness in the morning and Thy faithfulness at night. So, letter A, He speaks to God verbally. Verse 1, the word give thanks there means to confess, to speak it, to say it forth, to share it verbally. I am speaking of God and I am Praising Him. This is a good thing to do. Jesus said something very important to us in the Gospels. He said it in two different places. So that means that it's it's kind of driven home. And the context is a little bit different each time. He says that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So whatever's filling up here is spilling out here. So when what is filling up here is joy in God's salvation. Joy that He has caused us to have. When that is filling up here, is spilling out here. For the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. In other words, essentially, the mouth is a relief valve for the pressure that's building up inside your heart. It displays exactly what's in there. And so here he says, giving praise to God. This is a character mark and a characteristic of this person who's going to be and who is filled with the sap of the life of God in him or in her. Next, it's vocally. Now when I say verbally and then vocally, I'm separating that which we speak and that which we sing. What does it say? And I will sing praises to thy name, O Most High. He says again in verse 4, I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands. One of the glorious things we should be hearing and doing as seniors is singing for the joy that exists in our heart. It is good to sing praises to our God. This is part of God's plan for nourishing and nurturing the sap-filled heart. Next, specifically, letter C. What does he say? Look in verse 2. To declare two things. Thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness at night. There is a specific praise. Loving kindness is the Old Testament concept of gracious, undeserved love, faithful love, covenant love from God to man. And so this person's getting up in the morning and assuring health in their senior years and encouraging help while senior by specifically pinpointing the loving kindness of God to say this God Loves. This God saves. This God forgives. This God justifies. This God is faithful. And so he says, and then in the night, what do I talk about in the night? 
He was faithful to me all day long. Read. He says there, Thy loving kindness in the morning, Thy faithfulness by night. As they contemplate on the day, as they reflect on the day, they remember, you know what? The God who started a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And even in the the events of this day, God never left me. He never forsook me. He never abandoned me. He was there every day minute of this day. Next, consistently. Letter D. What is he doing it? Consistently. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. I have a friend named Chuck Wood, and Chuck is one of the most godly and encouraging and Jesus-like people that I've ever known. Chuck shared with me, with some friends we were gathered together recently, For 30 years, he has read at least two chapters of the Gospels every single day so that he could know what Jesus was like so he could try to be like Jesus. Along with his reading in the Old Testament, reading in the other parts of the New Testament, reading in the Psalms and the Proverbs, for 30 years, consistently, two chapters in the Gospels every day. This consistency... You know Chuck. Few of you have met him. He's dying. He has ALS. He has what we formerly called Lou Gehrig's disease. He's losing his ability to walk. He's losing his ability to speak well. He's losing his ability to control his movements. And he has joy and sap and sweetness just pouring out of him. Because He has chosen this life of a consistent praise, adoration, and study of who God is and what He has done for Him. Next, musically. Look at this guy in verse 4. He's breaking out the, excuse me, verse 3. With the ten-stringed lute and with the harp and resounding music upon the lyre. He's, He's saying, I want to surround my life not only with what is flowing out of me in praise verbally and vocally and specifically and consistently, I want to surround my life with the things that uplift my soul in praise. He's making sure that the music that is a part of his life is a part of his praise to God. So you have this guy with this joy rooted in God, carrying that joy Forward, verbally, vocally, specifically rejoicing in the things of God. His faithfulness, His loving kindness, morning and evening. He's doing it in a way that is consistent. And He is surrounding Himself with the music that encourages Him. What is He doing? He's nurturing the sap. He's working so that He does not grow dry and brittle. I have a set of trees in my yard that I planted over the last few years. Uh, they're one of my favorite. They're crepe myrtle. Planted several different colors. And every year in the winter, the winter hits and all the leaves fall off and the tree becomes just almost looking barren and after the first season, I went out there and I was really worried about them because they just looked so bad. 
There wasn't a green thing on them at the moment, and there was not a, there was just no sign of life. And I thought, man, I planted these things, and we worked this hard, and they're just they're dead as a hammer. And so just I started fooling with them, and I, I reached down, and I got the kind of the end of the twig, and I just, just broke it off thinking, this old dead thing. And as soon as I snapped it, I looked inside, and guess what was there? A green sap was right down inside that, and just a few months later, it exploded back to green. And then in the fall, as the time came, it exploded into those beautiful flowers. It looked for a little bit of season to be sapless because of the exterior appearance. But it wasn't. Some of you, you're dealing with how the exterior appearance is changing. And and it doesn't look very sappy good anymore. You're looking at your body. I, I used to make fun of people who always complained about thin skin. And now when I bump something, I'm only 50. You know what happens to my skin? Those of you who have a little age, you know what happens. It tears. I'm not happy about that. I get bobos now really easy. I didn't used to do that. I find myself nicking myself and bleeding and thinking, man, I remember my neighbor when he was an old man saying that was happening to him. And now I'm feeling that sense. There's this exterior that we're dealing with inside. There's this sap that is welling up in joy and in life. Next. Number three. Let's walk through these. Number three. A healthy understanding of those far from God. As we age, we begin noticing that a lot of people seem to be getting away with a lot of stuff. I doubt that anybody in my age group who grew up, I was born in 62, many of you born before me, a lot of you after me. I never thought that I would see the day that marijuana would be legalized. I really never... If you would have told me that when I was 19 years old, I would have said, man, you're just crazy. Some of you, as me, never thought that the definition of marriage could be changed by a society in just a few years. Some of you who were around in 1972, with any knowledge, I was only 10 never thought that the byproduct of a Supreme Court decision would lead to more than 50 million babies being thrown in trash cans in our own country. And we see the Gosnell trial, and I can't even speak in, a, in this company of how horrid it is. And we sit around and we say, how, how are people getting away with that? And so three and four show us something the psalmist is doing that's keeping him healthy and vibrant and keeping him from bitterness. A healthy understanding of those far from God comes to us in verse 6. It says, A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. And, And that's what follows. What is he saying? This is actually a mark of humility. The psalmist is thanking God that He has given him understanding to see things rightly. To see things properly. This is not a railing on these people. 
It's a confession that they lack a particular thing that God and His Word and His Spirit alone can give us, and that is understanding, knowledge. They are a gift from God through His Word and through His Spirit. And we cannot be prideful when we look upon people who don't understand. We're refreshed and encouraged with verses that remind us 2 Corinthians tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. And so we can take no credit for what we see and know and understand. It has been revealed to us by God, by His graciousness, by His Spirit, by His Word. And so they see that these senseless people, these stupid people, are people who lack a fundamental need. They need understanding from God by His Spirit. We're going to see how that ties in in just a moment. But number four, this healthy, sap-filled person has a healthy understanding of those far from God and a long-term view of the success of the wicked. Look in verse 7. That when the wicked sprouted up like grass. Now this is kind of a picture of a field. The rains come and the spring hits. And all of a sudden green grass just goes wow. And it's everywhere. We've just kind of gone from in that season. In our own neighborhoods. My yard has gone from just a kind of ugly brown to a bright and pretty green over just a few weeks, all of a sudden, bam, all of this bright and green. Now, then he says here, the wicked are sprouted up like grass. All who did iniquity flourish. It looks like it's everywhere. It looks like it's all-encompassing. It looks like it's spread everywhere. It's just going. Grass is growing everywhere. Wickedness seems to be thriving. But what does he say? It was only that they may be destroyed forevermore. The health of this man is that he sees things eternally. Very often you and I get caught up in this moment and we think evil is winning. We get discouraged. We see so much bad stuff going around us and as we age, we seem to be more sensitive to it because of the amount of change that has happened in our own lifetime. Some of you who were born pre-war have seen changes I can't imagine. I've seen changes born in 62 that some of you who are in your 20s can't imagine. All of these changes can be incredibly discouraging and all of a sudden you start feeling like, oh no, oh no, evil's winning. Satan's going to kind of like take over everything and own it all and win this victory. And it's not like that at all. One of the healthy outlooks of this one who can be sap-filled in old age is to understand that God doesn't settle all His accounts in this age. There are a lot of people who look like they're getting away with. Honestly, when I saw our president stand up this week, and you guys know I don't, I'm not a political ranter, but when I saw him stand up this week and say he really affirmed 15-year-olds walking into Clint, to, to, to pharmacies and purchasing without any kind of prescription a drug that 
readily and quickly kills babies in the womb. I just shook my head and, and, I, and I said, God, you've got to set this right somehow. The amount of people who are going to be harmed and the babies that are going to be, they're going to be just done away with. God, but we have a long-term view. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us from becoming dry and brittle and bitter. We understand that God has a plan that one day is going to set everything straight. And it's not going to be on our timetable. We have to patiently wait on Him and for Him. And so we have not only this healthy view and understanding of those far from God, that they need revelation to them through the Word and the truth and the Spirit, We have a long-term view of the success of the wicked. We know that eventually God triumphs. That's why it's precious to read the book of the Revelation and especially to bask in the last chapters and to rest, which is next. Number five, these healthy seniors, these ones that are sap-filled, what do they have? They have rest in the immovability of God. They understand that nobody here on earth... What does he say here? Look in verse 8. But thou, O Lord, art on high forever. Man may shake his puny fist at God. Mankind may make all kinds of pretense about might and strength. Armies may go to war and conquer. Evil may have its day. But there is nothing shaking God from His immovable throne. He rules, He reigns, and He will return and set things straight. That's coming. And what keeps us green and vibrant in the midst of the craziness is to draw in joy as we rest in the immovability of our God. Now, we move into the closing with two things. Number six, trust in the purposes of God even in our enemies. Every one of us deal with people somewhere along the way that have hurt us. Some of those hurts are slight and some of those hurts are grave. Some of them are passing moments that just focus and then other times they are they're huge and they crush us. Some of it is as bad as abuse and others it is as simple as a sharp word. But all around us, is the possibility of someone being at enmity with us and the enemy, Satan, using people to harm us on our journey. This psalmist says, look at how we can view that. He says in verse 10, Thou hast exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. So letter A, God is the one who exalts us. Don't try. Here's where bitterness will come in. Bitterness will come in when you try to be the exalting mechanism of your life over those who've hurt you. Bitterness will come in when you're the guy, the gal, trying to get a leg up on the person who has done you wrong by doing wrong to them or trying to bring about vengeance on them. You're trying to bring the exaltation. No, that will guarantee you bitterness 
Because the harder you strive to bring down the one who hurts you, the greater claim they have on your mind. My brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to quit letting people who've hurt you rent space in your head. The longer you dwell on the hurts that you have been given, the more discouraging you are mentally because those people keep taking ownership of your mind. I'm not trying to be philosophical here. I'm saying leave it to God to exalt you at the proper time. The psalmist had enemies. He knew them. But he said, God, I will wait on you. If the psalmist is David, this is the guy who in the cave, Saul goes into the cave thinking he's hiding, going to the bathroom in the cave. David slips up on him, cuts a little section out of his robe, takes it and shows it to Saul that he could have taken his life. Had David chosen that moment to exalt himself, he would have lost his kingship and all of the things that God had for him. But he said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not exalt myself. If we want to be healthy seniors full of sweet sap like the maple syrup tree, we've got to be the people who leave the exaltation to God. Thou hast exalted my horn. That's the, 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 the picture of strength. Letter B, God refreshes. What does he say? Thou hast exalted my horn. And then he says, and I've been anointed with fresh oil. This is God's blessing of refreshment and comfort upon this person. And then God delivers in verse 11. My eye has looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. The way that they can look at their foes in a victorious posture is to know that God ultimately wins. You do not have to win. You can look exultantly upon those who have harmed you because you know that one day God is going to wipe every tear from your eye. He is going to wash away the pain of the memory of those hurts. He is going to be your comforter and your God. He is going to do everything necessary for you to know the fullness of joy forever. And so the deliverance is ultimately in His hands. What made this man old and full of sap was his choice of how he would navigate enemies. People who hurt him. Very often the reason people move into senior adulthood and lack the sap and the joy is because they're still carrying the bitterness of the hurts and trying to exalt their own self above those who hurt them. My brothers and sisters, that is certain bitterness. It takes away the flourishing. It takes away the joy. Raymond Lowell was born of a wealthy family in the island of Majorca off the coast of Spain in 1235. That's a long time ago. His life as a youth was dissolute and debauched, but in a series of visions compelled him to follow Jesus. He first entered monastic life, but later became a missionary to Muslim countries in northern Africa. He was driven from those countries by the Muslims with the threat of death. He learned Arabic and 
after returning from Africa, became a professor of Arabic until he was 79 years old. His pupils and friends naturally desired that he should end his days in the peaceful pursuit of learning and the comfort of companionship. Such, however, was not his wish. Lowell's companions tell us, Men are wont to die, O Lord, from old age, the failure of natural warmth and excess of cold. But thus, if it be thy will, thy servant would not wish to die. He would prefer rather to die in the glow of love, even as thou hast willingly died for him. The dangers and difficulties that made Lowell shrink back in 1291 and drove him from North Africa drove him back. In 1314, his love had not only not grown cold, it had burned brighter. Animated by these sentiments, he crossed over into what is now called Algeria and for nearly a whole year labored secretly among a little circle of converts whom in his previous visits he had won over to the Christian faith. So this is all Muslim. And he's in this little secret community ministering to them. He did that at 79. He spent one year, his 79th year, discipling those. And at length, weary of seclusion and longing for martyrdom, he came forth into the open market and presented himself to the people as the same man whom they had once expelled from their town. It was Elijah showing himself to a mob of Ahabs. Lull stood before them and threatened them with divine wrath if they still persisted in their errors. He pleaded with love but spoke plainly the whole truth. The consequences can be easily anticipated, filled with fanatic fury at his boldness and unable to reply to his arguments. They stoned him at 80 years of age. He spent the last year of his life as his sweetest, giving his life to the discipling of Muslims who would pass the faith on to others and lead many to Christ. What causes a man to be like this? Come to number seven. A life rooted in three things. Look at it says here, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. Verse 12. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. This is sweet fruit and aromatic wood. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. What is it saying? Letter A, stability. He said, I plant myself in God and I stay here. I'm not going to go from thing to thing to thing. Stability from staying in the same place. Also, nearness. It says, in the courts of God. In the house of the Lord. Where did he plant himself? He planted himself in the nearness of God. That's what made the tree of this psalmist sap filled. He planted himself near God and stayed. And finally, in worship. What goes on in the courts of God is worship. His life was made stable by staying with God, staying near to God, And worshiping God. And what happens? We close number 8. Look at verse 15. Pursuing the purpose of old age. Why has God done all this? Look at what God's plan for old age is. He said they will still yield fruit in old age. Verse 14. They shall be full of sap and very green. Why? Why? Verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. How is He going to use old age? To testify to the ignorant who do not know from verses 4 and 5 and 6. 
He is going to make them aware. There's a man who impresses me greatly. We're going to watch a video about him right now. How many of you have ever heard of J.I. Packer? Pretty high hand. Let me see a high hand so we get an idea. Okay, pretty good number. J.I. Packer is a good and godly man, most famous for writing a book called Knowing God. I want you to see this video about him. Daniel, bring that up and listen to what he says, and then we'll close. <laughs> 